It is great to be with you. If you're a guest with us, I, just like Brett, want to welcome you and say thank you so much for joining us. And just let you know that my hope and my prayer for you is the same as it is for every single person who joins us whenever they join us in person or online. And that simply is this, that no matter where you find yourself in your faith today, that you would be able to take one step towards Jesus because that's what we're all about as we gather together. So I'm so excited that you're here. You've come in a series we've been calling SWAT, this um, spiritual warfare and tactics series. And you're probably like, oh, there's a giant you know, Roman person up here. Uh, the setup team has come to naming him Fred. And so we're just going to stick with that for right now. I think it changes each week. But um, you know, we've been looking at these different pieces of armor that Pastor Will read through today uh, during our time of worshiping God through song. And what I found funny was there's parts of this that don't always make sense when I look at this armor. But before we go looking at a piece of armor today, you know, I, I found myself this week in a place where I just was exhausted. I felt like I had given so much. And one of the ways that I recharge is I, I like to go on the golf course and be by myself with people I don't know. And I can just kind of sit in my own head and walk around. It's great. This week, I got paired up with two young seniors from college, and I watched them do things that I could never do on a golf course. I watched them hit balls you know, way further than I did, and I thought, okay, so I got you by 20 years. I get it. But what in the world are you doing that's different? And I, I asked them, what are you doing that's so different that you're so good? And it was, it was a silly comment that they made that I've been continuing to hear over and over and over. Man, I work on my core. You, you work on your core? What are you, an apple? Like, I don't understand. What does that even mean? And they're like, you know, the muscles right in here and your back and your stomach and, you know, your legs and your core. How many of you work on your core? Okay, a handful of you here. I didn't know that this was a thing um, until like the last couple of years that we talked to... Did anybody hear the, the word core 20 years ago? Okay, I know I'm not like a super athlete here, so, you know, complete ignorance. But I thought, what do you mean, your core? And they kept saying, you know, everything about the way that you swing, the way that you move, it's all in your core. And I was like, I don't understand. But what they were saying is each part of the mechanic of my swing or the way that um, my strength is built kind of starts right here. And I need you to keep that picture in mind because our core is something we talk about on the physical level in our lives, but we very rarely talk about it in the spiritual world of who we are, is building our core. And this is where we're going to be going today, to talk about our core. And then Pastor Will did an amazing job of reading the uh, passage in Ephesians that we're going to be going through. So I don't really feel the need to read through this again. But what we know is that, you know, the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus saying, guys, it is time to put on the full armor of God, to put on the full armor and get ready. Because if you missed last week, you know that this is Paul's battle cry to the church. And he's saying, church, it is time to wake up because the Christian life is not a playground. What is it? It's a battleground. The Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. All day, every day, there's an invisible war raging around us. 
You may not see it in the physical realm, but it is all around you and I in the spiritual realm. Whether we would choose to believe that it's true or not, it's happening. And, and the enemy, the devil, Satan, he is coming. And he's looking for weak spots in our armor. He's looking to wreak havoc on everything that we care about. Our mind, our emotions, our faith, our family, our futures. And if you were here and you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, someone who has placed their trust in the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ, then whether we like it or not, we find ourselves in the crosshairs of the enemy. We are at war. But the good news is we learned last week that Satan is not God's equal. He's not his equal. He is his enemy, but he's not his equal. When Jesus gave up his life for ours and he sacrificed his life on the cross for you and I, he defeated Satan, he defeated sin, he defeated death once and for all. Amen? So Satan is a defeated enemy. You have to know that. But that does not stop him from harassing, intimidating, and bullying every single human that he can come in contact with. And that is why God gives us the armor of God. So at the time that Paul's writing this letter to this church in Ephesus that he loves so dearly, he's under house arrest in Rome. And house arrest means that he can kind of come and go, but he's always got a guard with him. And this would be the complete makeup of a guard. This is what they would be wearing. And it's like, oh, cool, check this out. And, and as Paul's writing, he's got all of these pieces in mind. And he's kind of saying to the believers of that time, the followers of Jesus, we got to get ready for battle. And if you're going to get ready for battle, how do you get, hey, there's the things that we need to put on. And he begins to unpack each of these articles. And I'd love to read that again so that we could see them. And you can find the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. It'll be more towards the right-hand side of your Bible. These are the words of Paul. He says, stand firm then with the, and if it's in italics up there, go ahead and read it with me. If Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness, come on, we could do that one. Is it feet fitted? Yeah, there we go. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. These are the six powerful pieces of the armor of God that are all activated when we begin to pray and commune with God and ask him to help us put these on. And so today, I would love to look at the first piece of armor that the Apostle Paul mentions, and that is the belt of truth. He says in Ephesians 6, stand firm then with the belt of truth, the belt of truth buckled around your waist. This is kind of a weird place to start. Wouldn't you agree? When you got up this morning, did you put your belt on first? No, that's weird. That would, we don't do this. Belts are fashion accessories, right? You, you, what do you need to know about a belt? A belt, you know, keeps your pants up. Make sure that your belt matches your shoes if you're going to go somewhere. You know, like these are things that are important. This is not the first thing we think about. But for Paul, when he's talking about the belt of truth, he's got something like this in mind. 
He's got a weightlifter's belt. Now, you could tell this is still folded because I don't own a weightlifter's belt. I don't weightlift. Um, but what I know is that when I see people, whether it's in the Olympics or those of you who scream CrossFit when you do it, because the first rule of CrossFit is talk about CrossFit, right? So I get it. I know it. Um, I don't even belong to it, but I know the rules. Listen, when Paul has this in mind, he's writing and saying, I need you to put this on. And, and when they put on their belt, it was super thick. It was large and it was heavy. It had lots of buckles, lots of ways that you could begin to tighten this up. And the reason that you would put your belt on first is because your belt was the core of your suit. Every other piece of armor, which adds up to like 70 pounds of armor, would hang and be contingent on your belt, on your core. And so Paul is saying like, listen, you put on the belt of truth. You start with your combat harness. You're about to step into some very strenuous work. This isn't easy. You don't need your target accessory here. You need a weightlifter's belt because it's about to get real what you're stepping into. And what do we need her to get ready? This is the belt of what? It's the belt of truth. Paul points us to a virtue here. He points us to the virtue of truth. Paul says, listen, God's truth is your core. This is your support. This is what you hang all of your life on. Everything that you are about to put on and go into battle with depends on your core support of God's truth. And like I said, we use this idea of core when it comes to working out in our physical body. But Paul is saying, that's, that's fine. But don't miss your spiritual core. Don't miss working the muscles and getting ready for the battle that you are about to go into. So Crossbridge, I believe we've got some core workouts to do in our spiritual world. Because without a set of core convictions, of biblical truth in our lives, we will not stand firm in a culture of compromise. I mean, let's be honest, right? Our culture today does not take a stand on truth with a capital T. They do not take a stand on truth. I, I know that. In fact, when it comes to this idea of absolute truth, our culture is not firm. It is not strong. It's flabby. It's weak. Paul says, listen, if you don't stand your ground and survive the enemy's attacks, you're in trouble. So you need to start working on that core so you know what he's coming at you with. You need to have a set of beliefs that are anchored in God's objective truths. Why? Because the devil, the devil deals in deception. The devil deals in deception. His deception, his primary, maybe scheme, if you will, it's his strategy to come at us. It's deception. Let me just take a second here. Can I, can I tell you how strategic and how much of a dirtbag the enemy is? Am I allowed to say dirtbag? Okay, good. I said it twice, so I hope so. We learned last week, the enemy studies us, doesn't he? He's looking for the pieces in our armor that are weak. And if he can get to those spots, he can get to us. And everyone's armor is going to look a little bit different. Everyone's weaknesses are going to look a little bit differences, different. But the vulnerabilities that we have, 
he's going after so that he could trip us up and he can kind of take us from a place of truth to a place of compromise. And the number one thing that he does is he begins to shade the truth for us. He weaves illusions. He whispers lies. He is so cunning and sinister, you often don't even realize that you're being deceived by him. He's the one who's trying to convince you that when you're in a compromising situation, you're, you're the exception to the rule. I know that, that everyone else struggles with this, but you don't. It's okay for you to do that. You could be strong enough. You're going to be okay. You're not like everyone else. You won't get caught. He's the one who tempts us to believe that God didn't mean exactly what he said. That, that maybe if we add in all these other things, he could have meant something different. And yeah, You know what? That, that seems like it could work. He's going to be the one who whispers that you're not who God says that you are. He's going to be the one to reaffirm the lies in our life that we're not really loved, that we're not chosen, that we're not forgiven, that we're not empowered. When we know that our core, that scripture says this is who we are, he's going to whisper that you are the problem, that you are all alone, that you are abandoned, weak, filthy, and powerless. He's going to whisper, it's really not even worth it to wake up. And maybe some of you heard this whisper, it's not even worth it to go to church this morning. You're too much of a mess. This is how that dirtbag works. This is what he does to us. He twists our perceptions of reality. These, these unhealthy relationships that some of us find ourselves in, you know that relationship where you're like, yeah, but, but, but they do love me and they say that it's good and yet it's so abusive and codependent, but somehow we've been convinced we cannot live without that person. What is that? That is the deception of the enemy. That habit that we have that we're thinking, it's just an occasional habit. You know, it's only porn every once in a while. The alcohol that I drink every night isn't that big of a deal. I mean, I know it used to be like two or three nights and now it's seven, but whatever. Like, it's not a big deal. I'm in control. The painkillers that I take, you know, I know it's for this, but now that I'm feeling better, the video games that I play to run away from reality because... I don't want to deal with the, it's okay, it's your time to rest. Come on, these are lies that we buy into, the little white lies that we tell and we've convinced ourselves, it's really, I mean, so I didn't tell the complete truth. It's hyperbole and everybody lies, so it's, it, you know what, it's not really hurting anybody. Crossbridge, wake up to the truth. Satan is the father of lies, and he distorts the truth. He twists our reality so that we get this warped perspective on what's happening around us, and our beliefs get all scattered, and we don't know what's true, we don't know what's not, and we find ourselves believing things that aren't true and rejecting things that are. Have you ever been around a person that you know you could see the path they're on is a horrible one? They cannot see the truth 
of the, the path that they're on, and you know it's going to lead to destruction. And no matter what you say, they won't listen. Do you know that person? Have you ever been that person? Man, I look back at my pictures from junior high. Whew. Maybe this is dating me, but all <laughs> my family, my friends, I knew what was cool at that time. And you don't need to amen if you did it, but I'm going to let you just sit in this. If you grew up um, when I did in junior high, you know how cool it was for your super baggy pants to be worn super down, right? And your belt was not an accessory. It was a necessity because your pants were going to fall, at least in the, the place where I grew up. Um, haircuts, let me tell you how cool this was. I used to like grow it really out so I could flip it up here and shave it all the way under or maybe just cut it around with the bowl and... My glasses, I made sure that, that they looked cool. When I look back, I think, I thought I was the coolest person in the world. Hot stuff. Oh, hot stuff. <laughs> I still can't figure out why the ladies didn't come running. <laughs> Maybe it's because I couldn't see the truth of what all of those ladies saw, what my family saw, what my friends saw. Is, Jimmy, you, you, you look like a hot mess. This is not working for you. The truth was, I thought, it, I thought it was, and I believed that I looked great. The reality was completely different, and what does the enemy do? He gets us and deceives us into thinking that we're walking in the truth when we're, in reality, we are not. And because he's so deceitful, we are so easily deceived. Well, I, I'm so easily deceived by my own desires, my own feelings, my blind spots. This is why we need to work on our core. This is why we need to be strong and sturdy with this belt of truth, making sure that everything is strong. And when we have this strength, it's huge, but let's be honest, you're not putting on a weightlifting belt tomorrow, are you? This is our sturdy belt of truth. This is what we stand on, and we need some sort of unchanging, objective standard of truth and beauty that's outside of ourselves. We need something that's going to give us a clear, reality-based perspective of what's happening in our life. I'm just going to say it. We cannot always trust our five senses. We can't always trust what we see, what we feel, what we hear, what our feelings are going to say, because the truth is the illusion around us is just too powerful. We have to have something outside of ourselves that we can test the truth of every decision that we have to make. Every opportunity that gets presented to us, the path that, that we have to choose to go on, we need something reliable to run a past. So what is truth then? Capital T, truth, according to the Bible. Truth is God's opinion on any matter. Truth is God's opinion on any matter. Can we say that together? Truth is God's opinion on any matter. Not your opinion, not my opinion, not your family's opinion, not your parents' opinion, not the opinion of CNN or Fox News. The truth is only and always will only be God's opinion on any topic every time.
This is what truth is. And we live in a world, let's be candid, where truth is very relative, meaning it's not always relevant. It's relative. And more and more people are believing things like there's no absolute truth. Truth is not some fixed moral point. It's relative. It's based on your perception. It's based on the way that you see or the political party that you adhere to. It's based on your cultural lens and where your family came from. And let me tell you, if it works for you, it must be truth. In fact, a recent study by the Barna Research Group, it revealed some eye-opening statistics when it comes to the 70 million kids and teens that make up Gen Z. If you're part of Gen Z, just give me, a, give me a hand there. You're born between 1995 and 2015. Okay, awesome. Yes, this is Gen Z. And as they began to figure out this uh, survey, they were trying to see how does this generation perceive truth? So when they started asking questions, like any great survey would do, you want to ask a baseline question, something that you think everyone would agree to so that you can go, okay, this is not... Um, a, a, a wild collection of people. And so what they did was they kind of threw a lob, a lobbed a softball in there, one of the Ten Commandments when it comes to what is truth, and they simply asked, is lying morally wrong? Is lying morally wrong? Please remember, this is the most racially, religiously, and sexually diverse generations in American history. And 34% agreed that lying was wrong. 34%, only 34%, that's a third of an entire generation, lying is morally wrong. Now, maybe, maybe when you look at this, the generations that were surveyed before were lying about lying, and uh, Gen Z is the first maybe generation to tell the truth about lying, that they lie and we're okay with the truth. Wait, now, I, I, listen, here's what I know. We're all a bunch of liars. Here's what I know, that somehow as this has fallen off, I think that we're okay with this statistic going down and down because I think Generation Z, and as much as I'd hate to admit it, I think this permeates all of our generations. So this way you can't look and hate on what they do and be like, I can't believe it, because guess where they learned it? From us. So if it's like, oh, it's not our fault. Yeah, it is. You see that number going down? I think the truth is that all of our generations are beginning to believe that the right beliefs or the truth is simply the ones that don't hurt anybody else. Generally, we view absolute truth as relative truth. It's, it's all subject to interpretation. Have you noticed this? Do you see this around you? This is so real in the land that we live in in America. We have all sorts of relative truths, which I would argue are simply just really fancy lies from the enemy. Lies like everybody has their own truth. Everybody's got their own perspective, their own opinion. They see what they want, and what they see is truth. So your truth is based on your education, your political perspective, what, what the culture around you thinks. 
The enemy wants to get us in a place where we can trust our intellect, right? I've studied more about this than you, so therefore I know what's more true than you do. And whenever we sit in a room and we lean on our own intellect to determine the truth of any situation, the enemy has us exactly where he wants us because we begin to think, well, we're the exception to the rule because we're smarter than that. I have the degree. I have the high IQ. Maybe for others of you, you got the high EQ. Your feelings have dictated exactly where you are in life, and they've always worked out for you. You kind of feel your way through life, and your feelings are your, they're your guide. Feelings are very important as well as intellect and education. But listen, just because something feels true doesn't mean it's true. If the enemy can get you to trust your feelings, he has you in the palm of his hand because feelings don't have a brain. They're not smart. They're the feels. But just like our intellect is important, our feelings are important, but we cannot trust either of them completely. But we believe the lie, and we tell each other all the time, you know what? You know you best. You do what makes you happy. I mean, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad, right? If you think it's right and you feel like it's right, the truth is, it can't be wrong. Well, guess what? It's wrong. It's wrong. If you base your life on what makes you happy, you and I will always choose the path of least resistance. We will always choose what's most convenient, what's the easiest, and what our friends tell us to do. We will always choose to do what our flesh wants us to do and what the culture celebrates around us. And you will never, ever be happy. Do you know why? Because the target that we're throwing out of happiness constantly changes. And when you think you've gotten it, the measuring stick has changed on us. This is why we need something solid, something stable, a core set of beliefs. God's eternal opinion on earthly issues. Because the lies are all around us. And what may be the biggest lie that we buy into as a nation is that all roads lead to God. I hear this all the time. I mean, as I, as I get to be with people and it's like, oh, what do you do? It's so funny this week. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Well, I've never met a pastor. Okay, cool. Now you have. Am I supposed to do something, say something? Like, it's been 17 holes, man. We're good. You've said it all. You know, I, I don't really go to church, but it's okay because, you know, I, I do believe in, in some kind of God. And as long as we're all doing the right thing here, we're going to be okay, right? And it's all one big path that, that ends up in the same place. Maybe you've heard, it, we just call that God different things. Maybe it's Vishnu, maybe it's Allah, maybe it's this idea of karma. And, and if that works for you and you're just doing the right things, we're going to end up in the same place, aren't we? It's okay, just, just stay on that road. Listen, I understand that this sounds tolerant. I understand that it feels open-minded, but there's just one problem with it. It's not the truth. It's just not the truth. In John 14, Jesus declares so clearly, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but, for, but through me. Do you want to know the core truth? The truth is a person. 
The truth is a person, and he has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? He says, listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know that you think there's lots of ways, but, but the path to heaven isn't based on what you want to believe, on your personal feels. It's based on my blood. It's based on the fact that, that I sacrificed myself for all of humanity, that you would join me in this you know, endeavor, this commitment to the church of redeeming the world and showing them the love of Christ. That my blood is what has covered your sins. It's, it's revealed that you're blind and can allow you to see your lies. You don't have to buy into this, this self-deception that we live in. You don't have to live in this. The truth isn't based on our knowledge and feelings. It's not based on what we want to be true. The truth is based on a person because he is a person. And when the world around us says there's many gods and Jesus doesn't say that, he says it right here that I am the way and the what is it, church? The truth. I am the way and the what? I am the way and the what? The truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. This is an absolute truth claim made by Jesus in the word of God. And every single human will have to decide what they do with this. Do I accept that truth, or do I reject it? Is he telling the truth, or isn't he? Paul says, first thing we got to do when we get ready in the morning for battle is put on the truth. Put on the belt of truth. We have to have a set of core beliefs about Jesus, about God, and about the reality we live in. My question for you is, where your values and choices hang? What, what truths do they hang on? Is it what you want to believe or the unchanging word of God? Sadly, I think many of us as followers of Christ, we waver on this. When it comes to clear convictions and actually responding to what we read in the Bible, um, we tend to be like sifting sand. We shift when the wind blows, the water moves a certain way, we shift with it. We waver, we cave, we compromise. You know, Charles Spurgeon had a famous prayer. I've been praying more and more recently, and it just says this, Lord, help me tell the difference, not just between right and wrong, but between right and almost right. Man, that's the discernment that as followers of Jesus, we need in a world that is rapidly changing. It is constantly being warped. This is why we need to strap on that belt first. Amen? But I know that seems crazy. It's like, cool, Jim. What am I supposed to do with that? So I kind of want to give you a little bit of an illustration to help you know, what do I do with this after church. What, what can I do with this tomorrow? And so I'm going to invite Jeremy to come on up here. And uh, Jeremy's going to be a great uh, illustration for us. And anytime I ask someone if they want to help, it's a risk. So would you give Jeremy a round of applause as he comes up? <laughs> Jeremy, you, you look great. Thank you. Um, what is this that you're wearing now for us? 
This is this is a tunic. This is not a dress. This okay. is it's a tunic. It's a tunic, tunic not yes. a dress. Okay, I like it. I like it. Um, what's great is in the first century, this is pretty much without the cool pockets. Um, this is what every man and woman would be wearing. If you travel to the Middle East, they still wear this. And in every different culture throughout the Middle East and many in Asia, they just have different names. But it's a one-piece garment that's perfect if you are walking around town. It's very airy. It's very breezy. Um, there is uh, one problem with this type of clothing, and that's simply if you needed to get to some hard work where you really needed to get into something, or um, if you were about to get ready for battle or you needed to run, th there's a problem. Jeremy, if you had to get ready for battle or get ready to run, how much freedom do you have in this? So, All right, so you can't really get past about a three-foot spot there. How high can we lift? Uh, yeah, so we've got, we're stuck. Um, listen, there's not a lot you could do with that, is there? If you're trying to work, you're stuck. So this is why especially for the men who are out working and the women who are out working, they wore a sash a lot of times. And that sash they would take off and they would, here, I'll hold this for you. They would begin to take it off and when they needed to get into the work or the war, they would tie it around their waist. And when they tied it around their waist, this restriction that they now have begins to open up a new sense of freedom that, that they've got. And so this is called... Um, <laughs> Oh, man. They would take it. Let me just show you. And they would tuck it in. Now, with that leg, Jeremy, how high can we go? We can go all the way up. This is, this is what it is. This is called girding your loins. Girding your loins. This is what Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14 says. And some of you may know this verse, that gird up your loins with the truth. Jeremy, did you ever think you'd be girding your loins in front of church? No, when you first asked me, I was like, I don't think we're allowed to do that on Sunday. Yeah. Um, so now what's great is you're online with everybody watching you gird your loins. So, hey, this is great. Um, this is what they would do. And so they would gird their loins. They would put this in. And if they had to get ready for battle or they had to get ready for work, they were all of a sudden in a place where what was restrictive becomes freeing simply because they took and they put on a belt. And here, can you see where this is going? Let me tell you that there is freedom in restriction. There is freedom in restriction. When you restrict your life to the word of God, it actually releases you to have more freedom than the average person around you. Isn't this amazing? When we respond and restrict ourselves with the truth of God, it leads to more freedom in life. And I think that's why Jesus says in John 8, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We see the Bible as this restrictive set of rules and regulations that we have to adhere to. And Jesus is saying, no, this is where freedom is. And so practically speaking, here's how this works. Like in our everyday life, we've got decisions and we're asking God, what's the path I'm supposed to take? And we know that we're at war. So if we're at war, Jeremy, it just makes sense. Be careful, please. Um, if we're at war, and Jeremy has to come to a place where he's presented with a decision of what to do. Uh, when I think of decisions like I've had this conversation with many of you recently, should I move from where I'm at in my community to another community, or should 
um, I stay there? Should I take this new job opportunity that's been presented to me, or should I stay where I'm at? These are two huge conversations. So what do you do with this conversation? You say, well, I've got a problem. I feel a tension. I'm at war with what does God want me to do? And we take our own desires, we take our own feels, our own knowledge, and we begin to stop and say, okay, I know what I'm feeling. Should I do this? And we tuck it into the word of God and we say, well, I know that he says that we need to resolve conflict. Are we moving because we're in conflict and we don't want to deal with the people around us? Or like adults, I'm going to approach them and resolve this because I'm called into community. Do I need this new job because it just pays more, even though I don't really care like, about the role, but it, it makes more? Do you need it? Or is God saying you're letting the truth of word, the, the word of God and the truth that we have buckled around us say, you're letting money be your God, not Jesus be your God. Maybe it's a role that you're supposed to go to because it gives you an influence to spread the word in a way you never could. You now have the freedom to make that move because it's been tucked in to God's truth. If you're single and you're in this place of going, I, I just want to figure out who to be, who I'm supposed to be dating, who I'm supposed to marry, what do you, what do, you do with this? Let's switch places here, Chair. Um, what are you supposed to do with this? Well, you, you take your ideas, you take your thoughts, and you're like, yeah, but she's, she's kind of awesome, man. Like, Jimmy, if you knew how great she was, she supports me, she's wonderful. I mean, I know that as a follower of Jesus, I should really be trying to find someone who supports me and points me towards Christ and sharpens me and all that, but, but she's just really amazing. Yeah, but he's so kind to me. All the other guys are horrible, and they're the worst. I know he doesn't really follow God, but that's okay. He treats me nice, and what do we do? We take this, and we tuck it into the word of God, and we let it stop and stay there, and God says, I need you with someone that's going to point you towards me when life is hard and when it's difficult. When it's not convenient, they love you like I've loved the church. They support you like I've supported. And we take these choices, these desires, and we tuck them in. Do you see how this is working? Does this make sense? So we have these issues, but I think unfortunately we don't run them by the word of God because it's too restrictive for me. Some of you right now, you're in a place where you're actively in this moment thinking, should I leave this church? He's kind of strong. He says things that make me uncomfortable. When I go to that place, they say what I like. Well, you need to take that and tuck it in to God's truth. And if you measure that question or that tension and you look through God's truth and you see something in our church, the fact that I can gird an elder's loins at our church, and you're thinking, that doesn't seem biblical. <laughs> you gird your loins next time. I'll just encourage you with your belt. Fair enough. <laughs> can we be adults if you don't agree with something? We could talk about that. Don't ghost us. We love you. If there's a theological issue or a praxis, a way that we work out that theology that makes you uncomfortable, we could talk about these things. And if it's not where you're lining up according to Scripture, listen, we can bless you as you go. You don't have to disappear. That's not the way the family of God works. 
And so we take every decision that we have and we tuck it in. We tuck it in. Can we give Jeremy a round of applause? Thanks for... Thank you. Thank you. Here, I'll take it. Thank you. So here's my challenge for you today. How's your time on your core work? If you're supposed to be in a place where you're working on your core spiritually, what's your belt of truth look like? How thick is that belt and firm is that belt? How can the choices that you have to make hold up to this? And I will tell you, I don't like everything I read in here. And when you submit yourself to the truth that's in here, it's hard sometimes. I know that for many of you, um, when you soap with us, soap simply just being the way that we read through the Bible every single day together. Um, I found myself reading somewhere else this week, and just so you know how practical this is, I was reading in the, the Old Testament prophet Haggai. It's this tiny two-chapter book. Like, it's real easy to skip over, and you're like, oh, whatever. What do you get out of Haggai? And yet I found myself in... Um, so I've been complaining a lot the last couple weeks. Um, when we came back as a church, part of me was uh, a little disappointed uh, in who didn't come back. Part of me was disappointed on the room feels different, the engagement feels different. It's not like it was before. And I'm just being transparent with you because it was not fun. And as I began to read Haggai this week, it was Monday morning, there's this moment in Haggai where God, God speaks to this nation that's come out of Jerusalem and all they're doing is, or they've come out of Babylon and it's this exile that's supposed to rebuild the temple. And they get strength to do it for 30 days, but after 30 days, they begin to complain. And not just about the work, but they're like, it's not like it was before. This temple doesn't look, it's not as big as the other one. It's not as decorated as the other one. It's not this as the other one. And God just took this sword of the spirit and squinched my belt nice and tight and went, do, do you want to be a kingdom person, Jimmy? Or are you going to be a person who complains about what was? Do you care more about the church that was or the church that is? Because what I'm doing in your life now is different than I did then. And what I'm doing in the life of your church is different than I did then. I love them more than you do. And their future glory is far more magnificent than you could imagine. Take strength now and live in the now, Jimmy not in the was. I did not like reading that. But I've never been more free to love the people in front of me than I am right now. Because I don't have to compare us to what we were. Because we are who we are. And that's what matters, right? What does your belt look like? What's your truth? Do you know his name, Jesus, and have you placed your trust in him? This is how we start and we fight our battle. With our hands lifted high, just like we sung about. Our truth begins with Jesus. Our truth is found in this word. 
And I know I joked about it with Jeremy, but our truth is tightened by each other as we encourage and say this is the truth. Without each other, without Jesus, without the word, we're never going fight to fight this battle well. We do it together. Amen? I'm going to pray and um, invite Jeremy Tunic Free to come up to lead us in communion to celebrating the absolute truth of Jesus in our life today. So would you pray with me? Jesus, I, uh, I confess to you that I, I don't like the uncomfortable of tucking that, that tunic in in my life. I don't like how it feels to feel restricted by things. It bugs me. But I will continue to lean on the truth of your word that as I adhere to this, as I submit to what it says, even when I don't agree with it, it brings so much more freedom to my life than it does hindrance. That in this sharpening moment, even this week, I was ready to quit this stuff of saying, I don't like when it's uncomfortable. Yet I've never felt more alive to love the people around me because you needed me to build that core. God, I pray a special blessing over Crossbridge, over those in person, over those online. God, that you would allow us to, to far overcommit ourselves to your word, to dive in so deeply that, Holy Spirit, you would bring out things in our time of reading that would sharpen us, that would strengthen us, that would allow us to have a belt that we could hang the rest of this armor on so when the enemy fights against us, we don't just look good. We're as strong as could be because of your core. God, for those who are like, I don't know what to do with this. Holy Spirit, would you bring conviction in a way that would annoy us when we aren't in the word? That would nag at us. And when the defeats come this week, and they will, we would be able to look up, see you, gather up our feelings and tuck them into the word of God. Holy Spirit, would you be with us? In Jesus, the truth's name we pray. Amen.